Campaign season is heating up. Labor Day is almost here. We're going to talk to a man who's been in the U.S. Congress for 30 years. He wants you to send him back for 31 and 32. You speak, we listen. Conversations connecting people. This is The Chuck Williams Show. Welcome to another edition of The Chuck Williams Show. Um, our guest today is U.S. Representative Sanford Bishop. Sanford is the congressman for the 2nd Congressional District, which is in southwest Georgia. Congressman, welcome, sir. Thank you. Glad to be here with you, Chuck. Uh, you have been in and out of D.C. a lot a lot in the last few weeks. I uh, want to start. We'll just go ahead and start. You're seeking re-election. You will be on the gen- November 8th general, ba- general election ballot against a Republican challenger, Chris West. He's a developer attorney out of Thomasville. Um, uh, are you in full campaign mode now? Uh, yes, we are. Uh, every two years, uh, we have to give account for our stewardship, and we ask the voters to renew our contract. Uh, I've uh, been fortunate that uh, they've done that for 15 times now, uh, and I think it's because uh, I have tried to live up to my promise to them that I would try to go to Washington and use that legislative process uh, to work for and in their behalf uh, to try to improve the quality of life uh, through jobs and a stronger economy, better education, safe communities, a clean environment, affordable, accessible health care, strong national defense, uh, working for them. And I believe that uh, I have given good account for my stewardship. I've delivered for the people of the district in good times and bad times, uh, through droughts, uh, floods, hurricanes, tornadoes, uh, and the like. Uh, and most recently, the pandemic. And so I have, uh, I believe, uh, uh, done uh, what the people have asked me to do, and I'm, I'm very grateful that they have seen fit to allow me to continue to serve them. I look forward to uh, serving them. Uh, I believe that I'm well positioned uh, to do that by virtue you are, of... You are positioned. You are the now the dean of the Georgia, 14, the 14 congressmen in Georgia, even the two centers. You've been there longer than anybody now, right? Yes, uh, uh, it's, uh, it's awesome. Uh, to succeed John Lewis, uh, who was the dean of our delegation. Uh, but uh, I do uh, have the most seniority of the members of the 14 House members as well as the two senators. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm the only member of our delegation who uh, serves on either of the appropriations committees. Uh, and, of course, that means a great deal because the appropriations is is layman's terms for money right absolutely the authorizing committees make the wish list when they write the bills but uh, the bills are nothing unless they're funded and of course appropriations committee funds all of the functions of our united states government i want to get into your campaign real quick then i'm going to come back to some of the accomplishments i know that Democrats such as yourself are taking victory laps right now over the legislation that recently passed. The uh, y'all have called it the uh, Inflation Reduction Act. Um, but for the last ten years, you've been in a solidly Democratic district. I mean, you, it was plus what seven, eight, nine, depending. Uh, Democrat. It was a solid Democratic seat where there was very little chance for a Republican to unseat you. It got redrawn last year, and it's now a plus two, plus three 
um, depending on who you're listening to. So it's it's more in play. I've heard some people say it's going to be the tightest race. The the most it may be the most closely contested congressional race in the in the deep south. Uh, is it going to be more difficult this time? Well, it's going to be a very competitive race, uh, particularly given the environment uh, in which we're now living. Inflation. Uh, people are much more polarized, uh, okay. you know, the extremes, uh, far right, far left. Uh, people have uh, uh, real angst now because of uh, inflation, because of the challenges that we're facing nationwide. And so it's going to be, uh, uh, it's a time when people are not happy. Have and you course, run into any people down in the district, and I know you're all over the district, that are maybe traditional Republicans, but they voted for you. They may be agribusiness, but they're, they, they tend to lean Republican, but they will vote for you. Oh, there are a number of people in, in, in that situation, uh, a number of the farmers, a number of the, the veterans. Uh, there are a number of people all across the district uh, who basically say that they vote Republican, but they vote for me because they, believe, you, that I, they believe that I will uh, uh, represent the people as opposed to the party. Have any of those people told you this time because of our polarization, they just can't do it, they're staying with the R team? Well, uh, there are some that have taken that position, and there are fortunately a lot of others uh, who said, no, you've been with us uh, over the years. We can talk to you. We know you. You know the job. Uh, we don't have time, and we don't want to train somebody else. When you look at it, you spent the last 10 years not really having to worry about challenge from the right. Now you do. The last time you really got seriously challenged from the right was 2010, and it was Mike Cowan. He was a pastor out of Thomasville. The guy that's running against you now is a 38-year-old guy who is, who is also out of Thomasville. So what what's going on down in Thomasville? Why, why are these – strong candidates coming coming from the very bottom of the district? Well, uh, I, I can't answer that, but I can say that uh, uh, the job doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to Democrats nor to Republicans. It belongs to the people. And I think that uh, the people will look at the candidates. They will look at their background. Uh, and hopefully they will evaluate who is in the best position to uh, advance and protect their interests. And, of course, uh, as a legislator, as a member of Congress, uh, you have to understand that process and you have to be uh, very well uh, able to negotiate that process. And, of course, I think that uh, my background, my training, my experience on uh, the legislature, as well as the 30 years in Congress, uh, have prepared me well. And not only have I done that in terms of learning the process uh, at the state level as a state house member for 14 years, a state uh, senator for two years, and, of course, being able to work through uh, the congressional uh, rules and the process there to work my way into a position where I can actually deliver uh, for the people of my congressional district, which has taken uh, seniority, it has taken uh, patience, uh, but for the fact that the people of the 2nd Congressional District have extended me that honor, they've allowed me to move into positions where I can actually do something. I'm fortunate I'm, I'm able to chair uh, the Agriculture Subcommittee of Appropriations. Uh, agriculture is the number one industry in Georgia. Uh, 
it's what drives the Georgia economy. And no, of course, no question about to that. be able to uh, to chair the uh, uh, the subcommittee of, of appropriations uh, that funds the Department of Agriculture. All of our farm programs, our conservation programs, our farm research programs, our rural development uh, programs, which is rural housing, utilities, uh, rural economic development, uh, to fund all of our nutrition programs, our school lunch, uh, school uh, breakfast programs, all of the school nutrition programs, as well as SNAP, WIC, uh, and our senior commodity programs. That's a big deal. Uh, not only does it impact the farmers in our district who help produce the food for those programs, but it affects everybody in America uh, who participates in any of those programs, but more importantly, everybody who eats. Uh, so that's, that's a big deal. Uh, secondly, I uh, am the vice chairman of the Military Construction Veterans Affairs Subcommittee of Appropriations. Which you, got Fort, you got Fort Benning, Robbins Air Force Base, and the logistics base in Albany. That's correct. And, of course, uh, that places me in a position to, to be able to fund the budget and the military construction for the entire Department of Defense um, worldwide. Uh, and, of course, uh, to be able to look out for Fort Benning, for the Marine-based Albany, which is now the logistics uh, Worldwide Logistics Headquarters Command for the Marine Corps, uh, as well as Robbins uh, uh, Air Force Base, which is the Air, the Air Logistics Center there. So we've got Air Force, Army, and Marine Corps uh, here, and of course we've got uh, several other installations across the uh, the state. Let me ask you uh, because you'll be voting on it very soon. I think uh, the the commission has given its proposal to change the name of Fort Benning to. Uh, Fort Moore for Hal and Julie Moore. Um, Fort Benning has been an institution in this community for more than 100 years, obviously named after Henry L. Benning, who was a Confederate general and a segregationist and a slave owner. Um, uh, or what are your thoughts as that vote is going to be coming to you? What are your thoughts about changing the name? I don't believe we, we get to vote on that. Uh, I think that that's uh, a well. Decision. You get to vote up or down on yeah. the whole mm -hmm. package. Yeah. It'll be like it'll be like re, it'll be like reapportionment. You'll be voting not on the one name, but mm -hmm. the whole package. So you will get a vote on it technically, right? Well, yeah, the up or down, I suppose. Yeah, an up or down vote yeah. on the whole package. Sure. What are your thoughts on changing the name of Fort? Bend? Well, uh, I listened to the thoughts of the personnel at the Pentagon, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, uh, they believe that we should have uh, one fighting force and we should uh, eliminate any things that would cause distractions, uh, uh, that would cause uh, division within our, our forces. Uh, we have enough division uh, in our communities, uh, in our nation, and across the world, and they want our our fighting force to be on one accord. Which means the Confederate names come off of Yes, the and of course, uh, anything that would be offensive and that would cause division within uh, our fighting force, uh, which is the best and the greatest uh, and the strongest uh, in the world, uh, they want to eliminate and they want to promote uh, that one, uh, one force and promote unity. And of course, they, uh, in their wisdom, uh, determined that uh, they should remove uh, any um, uh, monuments or relics that uh, would feed into division. And that includes names. That includes names. Um, I mean, 
I mean, that vote obviously is, I mean, that move is coming and should be coming fairly soon. Um, when you, not re- reapportionment, what, what, what is it when they do the military juggling of the post and stuff when they brought armor up here? Uh, that's, um, um, oh, I just realignment. Re, re, yeah. Brack. Brack. Base realignment uh, yeah. commission. Yeah. It, it, I was told the vote was going to be like Brack. It was going to be a one deal, one deal thing. Um, thank you for helping me get there. Um, one of the things that you can kind of look at here is you talk about fighting for Columbus and stuff. I mean, Columbus just got a new spectacular um, uh, um, Veterans Affairs Clinic in North Columbus. It's not in your district technically. It Maybe it's a mile out of your district, but you were one of the champions for that. What did it mean for you to see that facility, see the investment, what's it going to mean to veterans? And then I got one more question about it. Well, when I went to uh, Washington in 1993, uh, Jesse Brown was the Secretary of Veterans Affairs. And we brought Jesse Brown here. He visited uh, with veterans here. They, he was very well received. And one of the, the requests uh, that local veterans has, we need a local veterans clinic that is up to state of the art. 30 years later, you got yeah. it. And, of course, uh, we've been fighting for that. Uh, we've had veterans clinics uh, in Albany, uh, in uh, Macon, and various other places in the district, Valdosta, when I had Valdosta. But we did not get the, the kind of clinic that we wanted here in, in Columbus. And so we've been fighting for it, and, and with Numerous secretaries, numerous administrations, we've continued to fight. And finally, uh, in spite of contract disputes on the locations of where it would be, uh, it finally has come to pass and we have a state-of-the-art facility that everyone will be able to enjoy, but also will be accessible to all the veterans in the Chattahoochee Valley area. And that's a, that's a great thing. Uh, and that will complement uh, one of my other accomplishments was in getting the new Martin Army Community Hospital uh, built uh, to replace the old one, which was the oldest in the Army's inventory, uh, which is also state-of-the-art uh, and is in our area. Uh, so I'm very proud of, of both of those, uh, as well as uh, any number of other uh, uh, projects that we've been able to get. What does it mean to you to see Bob Portashev's name on that clinic? I know you knew Bob well. I, I knew Bob very well, and I knew of his advocacy and his love for veterans and the men and women and their families uh, who served this country. And uh, it gave me great pride uh, to be able to author that legislation and to shepherd it through the legislative process. Uh, we were able to do it in record time. We were able to do it on a bipartisan basis. Uh, every single member of the Georgia uh Congressional delegation signed on to that, and of course we got it through in record time, in time for the opening of the uh, the Bob Portishev uh, Community Clinic. One of the, I mean, he passed away during COVID, but uh, you know I've often thought of what it would have been like to see him out there because Bob commanded a room when he walked into it, and. Uh, and I, I know he would have taken that as a great honor. 
and I know his family probably has expressed that to you, right? Oh, certainly they have, and of course, uh, uh, people all across this community, veterans particularly, are very, very grateful uh, that we were able to get that accomplished. Um, let's switch gears a little bit. Um, one of the things that you, you know, when you've been somewhere as long as you have, and you've been in the seat for 30 years, and how long were you in the General Assembly before you got elected? Uh, 16 years. I was 14 years in the State House, two in the State Senate. So you've gotten, so you're approaching now, this would get you to 50 years of elected service if you win this. This It'll be close. Yeah. Wow. That's, I mean, that's, that's up there. What? What's the difference in this partisan divide we're in right now? What's the difference in legislating on the local and state level and legislating where you are in D.C.? And I know you were in the Capitol on January the 6th when the riders took the place over. Um, you were in D.C. I mean, what is the difference now? There's a lot less collegiality uh, than there was when I first went to Washington, uh, however, I think that uh, people recognize I was at the Georgia um, Chamber of Commerce luncheon uh, earlier. That was over in la- Macon. Last week it? over in Macon. And uh, Frank Lutz was a, was a speaker, and he talked about uh, uh, the state of, of mind of, of, of America uh, from a polling perspective and how people were very, very divided and how the extremes seemed to be driving everything, but how important it is for our democracy for us to get back to the point where we are able uh, to communicate with one another, to disagree agreeably. Uh, our founding fathers, when they set up our government, uh, set it up uh, based on the goodwill of men uh, for the body politic, for the good of all, but to be able to uh, reach compromise. So in order for a bill to become law, it has to be agreed upon by both the House and the Senate. Uh, it has to be the same piece of legislation. And in order to get that way, people have to compromise. They have to find middle ground. Compromise has become a dirty word. And it's become a, a dirty word, and of course uh, people have cease to communicate with with each other the way we used to. And so it's important uh, to establish relationships. And I'm fortunate that uh, with my uh, tenure, I've been able to develop uh, relationships on both sides of the aisle that are enduring. And I believe that the most important uh, thing in politics is the relationships. Uh, Because you may agree or disagree on an issue today, but if you have the uh, the friendship and the mutual respect uh, for integrity of one another, uh, you can move on to the next issue and uh, be able to find agreement, even though you may have had points of disagreement on another issue on another day. Uh, that's important. We've got to be able to communicate, the give and the take, uh, because no one has an exclusive uh, 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 knowledge or exclusive wisdom on what's best. Uh, it takes all of us, and I think that's what, what our founding fathers intended when they constructed it. But when people fail to, to communicate and to listen to one another, and when uh, it, it clogs up the system. And that's what we have experienced too much of uh, here of late. But I hear from people all over the district, we want you all to get something done and to be able to communicate with one another and to work with one another. I'm happy to say that I've been able to do that, particularly on the Appropriations Committee, 
uh, where I think uh, they say they are Democrats, they're Republicans, and they're appropriators. And of course, uh, that basically uh, is that we all try to work <coughs> together for the good of, of the country and for what is best uh, for the country. Sometimes we have difficulty arriving at an agreement on what's best, but uh, that is the nature of the process. Did you serve with Speaker Gingrich? Uh, yes, I did. Could you talk to and communicate with Speaker Gingrich? Could y'all have conversations about legislation and what was happening? We did. Uh, in fact, uh, we had quite a few conversations, uh, particularly around uh, the needs of the state of Georgia. Uh, when uh, Speaker Gingrich became Speaker, uh, the Georgia delegation uh, ceased to have the, the full delegation meetings that we used to have, and then it became the, the G6 or the G7 or however many Republicans there were. But uh, we did come together and have meetings on uh, issues uh, that affected the state of Georgia, and, and we were able to get a lot done that way. In fact, uh, uh, Speaker Kendrick uh, uh, invited me to, uh, to switch parties, for that matter. Uh, <laughs> did you consider it? Uh, I did not. Uh, I think that uh, uh, I have uh, every respect for uh, the principles that uh, uh, folks have on, on that side of the aisle, but I, I'm for the people, and I'm for doing what uh, will empower and will give opportunities for the, the greater number of the American people, those people who have not been able to fully uh, participate in the greatness that is America. Uh, and I want to make sure that that, that is available for everybody, regardless of, uh, of, of party or regardless of where they live, uh, particularly in rural communities. And I represent uh, the second district, which half of our district is rural. And, uh, and rural America. And is, that may be why he asked you to, yeah. I mean, he knew the makeup of your district. What, give me a little more on what the circumstances were that would have left, led Speaker Gingrich to ask you to become a Republican. I don't know. I guess uh, that was uh, during the time when the delegation was shifting uh, in terms of uh, uh, the makeup uh, on the political basis. Uh, and, of course, I guess he was trying to recruit but uh, you didn't it, seriously think about it, though. No, but I, I was uh, I was flattered that he would he would think that uh, uh, I would somehow be of be of, of benefit. But uh, my 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 job is uh, is not one of partisan politics. Uh, my job is being able to use that political process, the one that we have, uh, to try to work to benefit the people that I represent. And so I don't care whether you're a Republican or you're a Democrat because the challenges that we face day to day are not Republican or Democrat issues. They are American issues. They are Georgia issues. They are farm issues. They are agriculture issues. They are uh, um, issues that impact uh, our economy. And of course, that's what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about the people and representing the needs of the people. I have some very, very conservative uh, Republican friends that contact me regularly, and we engage in, in uh, verbal debate on the various issues of the day. But when they have an issue with um, internal revenue, for example, and one, one fellow had a, a real, real problem with Uncle Sam and with the IRS, and, of course, we were able to help him and to help him negotiate that problem and uh, get it resolved. Uh, and, of course, that's what we do. When I ran, Constitu I wanted they call that constituent service. I wanted my office to be a help office, 
uh, I, I, I learned that uh, the government was supposed to be of the people, by the people, and for the people, but it didn't work that way all the time. And so I wanted to, when I became congressman, to make sure that our office was a help office so that when people had issues with uh, the federal government, uh, internal revenue, uh, uh, Social Security, uh, VA disability, farm issues, that they could come to the, our office and we could help them uh, cut through that red tape uh, and actually have the government be user-friendly. And I was proudest when we were able to create the Taxpayer Advocate Office inside the Internal Revenue, uh, which was a group of independent folks that worked for Internal Revenue but whose focus was entirely on helping taxpayers negotiate that system. You know, one of the things, and I want to come back to one more question, but one of the things that is going to be used against you in ads this year is that 87,000 new IRS employees were created in this new uh, um, Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, that's, I mean, that's like, you know, I can make that sound like you just hired 87,000 boogeymen. Well, and, and of course, uh, I would expect uh, uh, people from that point of view uh, to view it that way. I view it as 87,000 people who will help the internal revenue be able to do their job better and allow them to be able to audit and to examine the returns of the corporations, the billionaire corporations that have not been able to pay a penny in taxes simply because they're able to afford the best and the brightest uh, uh, people to help them be tax cheats so that they don't pay their fair share. Uh, under this bill, uh, the emphasis is going to be on collecting that uh, three, four hundred billion dollars in uncollected taxes that are due and owing that the Internal Revenue has not been able to get because they didn't have the personnel to do it. You see, what has happened over the last 15 years is that uh, the other side uh, has made it uh, a decided effort uh, to, as they call it, starve the beast. And so they have reduced the number of IRS agents uh, and limited their capacity to actually collect the tax that was due. And so what we have been trying to do over the past few years is to try to give them, while we've given them added responsibilities, uh, we have not given them adequate uh, tools and staff. And so we just want to make sure that they're able to do that. And that will help us to remedy uh, the deficit that our country has faced. But you and I both know that in October, when the PAC ads start running ads against you, those ads are going to say they just hired 87,000 new IRS agents to come after middle-class, hard-working Georgians. Yes, but uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, I think uh, uh, political ads are, are often are misleading, and I think the public is wise enough to know that uh, uh, the people who are paying for those ads are people who don't want to have to pay uh, their fair share of taxes. And, of course, nobody making under $400,000 a year is going to see their taxes increased under this new bill. Uh, this is for fairness. It's for uh, reduction of our deficit. It's going to reduce costs. And it's for the people. It's not for the billionaires. It's not for the big corporate taxpayers who are, are tax cheats and, cheats and are able to escape taxation. Uh, it is for people like you and me, ordinary folks, 
uh, who pay their taxes, who do the best that they can, uh, and who want to get the most out of their government uh, to which they are entitled. You know, it, it's, it's interesting because you were at an event recently with Senator Ossoff, and it was a victory lap for the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, that bill, you know, when you're standing there and you introduce Senator Ossoff, you obviously know Senator Warnock well, too. 30 years up there, you know what happened, the landmark na nature of this legislation. What do you think when you look at those two guys, Ossoff and Warnock, and go, my gosh, if this were left when produced, you'll appear it doesn't happen. I mean, it happened because of Elections Georgia. have consequences. Yes, they and do. And the people of Georgia came out uh, and, and elected uh, Ossoff and Warnock, uh, that allowed the Senate to be in a posture to be able to pass landmark legislation like this that would allow uh, over three million people to be able to maintain uh, at least save eight hundred dollars a year on their, a month on their their health insurance uh, to be able to uh, have people who uh, are insulin dependent because they're diabetic, uh, to have a cap of $35 a month on that, that, that expense, uh, to have uh, uh, their annual um, uh, deductible be $2,000 and not have to worry for health care. Uh, that, is, that is huge. And for every senior citizen that is on Medicare, uh, that's going to be a real, real improvement to their bottom line, to their kitchen table budget, uh, and of course, it's going to be life-saving for many, many people. I was talking with a lady who was there today who, who pays three or $400 a month for insulin. She's insulin dependent. That is necessary for her to stay alive. She was very, very thrilled to know that uh, her maximum will be now $35 a month. Uh, that is huge. And to That's life-altering. It is. It very much is. And, and, of course, I'm happy to be there supporting the opportunity for life for the people of the 2nd District of Georgia, of the United States of America. Uh, the most difficult issue that I had to face uh, in the 2010 election that you referred to was the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare. Uh, it was divided just like uh, the electorate is divided now. Uh, half of the people wanted it desperately. The other half of the people hated it and didn't want it. Uh, but, of course, once it was enacted, once it has gone into effect, uh, the majority of states uh, 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 implementing it. Georgia uh, is one of 12 states that, that has not. not. Yes. Uh, and it's unfortunate because there are some 500,000 people in Georgia who would have access to health insurance who don't. Uh, and if we were able to do it, uh, uh, it would be a much better quality of life for them. And, of course, uh, we were hit uh, by the pandemic. And the fact that we have uh, fewer uh, rural hospitals uh, who closed because Medicaid One was closed in your district, Cuthbert. Yes. Uh, and, of course, uh, that, that, that is a tragedy, and we're doing everything that we can do now uh, to try to make that health care accessible uh, because uh, – there is an essential ingredient to quality of life, and that's health care. 
It's going to drive industry. It's going to drive education. And, of course, quality of life is everything. And we're going to make sure that our government works for and in behalf of the people. And health care is an essential uh, ingredient of that. You know, one of the things I wanted to ask you when I was talking about uh, Speaker Gingrich, and I'll go back to it real quick. You said you could get in a room and you could talk to Speaker Gingrich and y'all could have a conversation. Have you been able to get into a room and talk to Marjorie Taylor Greene? Have you had any discussions with her about legislation and moving stuff forward for Georgians? Uh, not directly, but uh, we speak. We ride on the same plane every day going uh back and forth to Washington. Uh, we're cordial to one another. We, I've not had any in-depth conversations with her, but I was happy that she was uh, in agreement with sponsoring the uh, legislation for Bob Portishev for the VA clinic, uh, as well as the uh, clinic, uh, the uh, VA headquarters in Atlanta, the I mean, regional that's headquarters for uh, uh, Johnny Isaacson. Uh, we're naming that for Johnny Isaacson. That legislation is now pending. We hope to get it passed. Uh, but, of course, uh, that was unanimous in our congressional delegation, and uh, I think that, that that's a start. But, uh, you know, there are things that, that divide us, but I am convinced that uh, we have more things on which we agree than on which we disagree. We have common goals, common hopes, common aspirations that all of us as Americans have. And that if we focus on those, I think that we can improve uh, our communities, our state, uh, and our nation. I want to get to one thing that I wanted to make sure to bring up while we were talking today. Uh, a couple of years ago, you were cited for... Uh, uh, by by Congress for um, for issues within your campaign uh, your campaign account finance stuff there was there were payments to Green Island Country Club for golf events and there was there was stuff there where does that in congressional investigation stand well it's in the breast of the uh, the House Ethics Committee uh, as soon as we uh, found out that uh, there were issues. Uh, we were determined to have those issues addressed. We were cooperative and have been cooperating with the, uh, with the committee and with the investigation. Uh, and where we have uh, uh, determined that uh, there may have been some mistakes, we've corrected those. Uh, what types of mistakes? Uh, mistakes in uh, documentation. Uh, most of what we did uh, was not uh, stuff that shouldn't have been done. Uh, it was stuff that was not uh, documented properly. Uh, there, were, there are things that you can do, but it has to be uh, appropriately documented. There were some things that were in violation, uh, and as soon as we found out, we corrected that, made uh, repayments, uh, to, and we, we hired the, uh, the best law firm. We hired the best compliance. Uh, we uh, had uh, a new treasurer uh, to make sure that we were being compliant. We had no idea that we were not in compliance with the, with the rules. And, of course, as soon as we found out we weren't, we've taken all of the steps that we could possibly take uh, in order to make the corrections and to make sure that we remain in full compliance. Do you and expect that to become a campaign issue in the next uh, I, 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 I would expect uh, my opponents to bring up anything that they could to try to sully uh, my record uh, and my character, uh, which is a part of the process. Uh, but I hope that the people of the 2nd Congressional District know me, uh, know my character, 
they have uh, had an opportunity to see me and to get to know me up close and personal over the last uh, 30 years. Uh, they know that uh, uh, my heart uh, is a servant's heart. And what I do, I do uh, as a ministry of public service to work for and in behalf of the people that, that I represent. Uh, and I would not intentionally do anything uh, to bring dishonor uh, to the Congress or to my work or to the people that I represent. When you, when you look, I know you followed the Republican primary very closely. Uh, you followed the Republican primary very closely. Uh, um, and of which West survived a runoff. But uh, Jeremy Hunt came in. He was a Fox News contributor. Hold on a second. We got a little disturbance going on. You're on camera out there. Um, uh, we, Jeremy Hunt was a Fox News contributor um, who came in here, literally moved in to run for the seat. Uh, African-American, West Point grad, five years in the Army. Did you think Hunt was going to be the nominee, and that'll lead to my next question? Well, I I I, I had some doubts about it, uh, simply because one, he really didn't have roots here; uh, two, he was uh, inexperienced, uh, and in spite of the fact that he had gone to West Point, uh, he had no legislative experience, uh, and and really, I think that uh, if you want a brain surgeon. Uh, you look for someone that has experience, uh, not somebody who is uh, a novice who's thinking about uh, going, to, going to medical school. And, of course, the legislative process and being a member of Congress and being able to deliver for a congressional district uh, uh, requires a, a little bit of, of experience and, and background and knowledge. And, of course, I didn't uh, see that uh, in, in Jeremy West, but uh, apparently... Uh, Jeremy, Hunt, Jeremy. Jer Jeremy Hunt. Jeremy uh, Hunt, but uh, somebody saw that, and well, they, Tom they, invest Cot they, Tom invest Cotton's. they invested in him, and, and, and that was fine. Uh, however, uh, I think that uh, the other issue that... Uh, came to my mind was the same issue that I think that uh, his opponents in the Republican primary raised is that, uh, you know, he was not, uh, he was a, he was a carpetbagger. And of course, he uh, was a carpetbagger. If and, you look and, up and the they, technical term, he yeah. was. And they, they uh, circled the wagons uh, against him in the runoff. And of course, uh, they said that uh, we don't want people from Washington picking our congressman. And that was, I think, a quote from some of them. And, of course, uh, that is how I think uh, Chris West was able to win that primary. He was a carpetbagger with a lot of money. Did you ever think you would see the day he was Josh Hawley, um, uh, Nikki Haley, Tom Cotton-backed, uh, three very prominent national Republican names? They spent two point. $5 million. Would they have spent that money if they didn't think you were vulnerable? Well, uh, I think that uh, they want to do everything they can to uh, put politics uh, in, in this race. And, of course, uh, uh, I am, uh, again, the representative of the people, uh, not the party, uh, not Washington, 
but the people of the second congressional district. Uh, I've been with them in good times and bad times through the floods of 94, 98, uh, the tornadoes, the hurricanes, uh, the pandemic. Uh, and I've been there to help them be resilient and to bring them the resources to recover uh, from all of these challenges that we have faced. Uh, and I think the people know me. I've been there at their festivals, whether it's a watermelon festival, the cotton festival, uh, whether it's a swine time, or whether it's a rattlesnake roundup. Uh, I've been there to celebrate uh, our local communities and celebrate our people. And they know me. And uh, I think that uh, uh, from the reception that I have gotten from them, uh, they feel that I am one of them, uh, as opposed to these uh, Johnny-come-latelys who, uh, for political reasons, uh, want to focus on the power of the congressional seat as opposed to serving the people. Uh, I'm the people's servant. Uh, I'm, uh, I have a servant's what? heart, and that's why I am in this business. Your district goes from Macon over to Columbus. Uh, you know, down 30 counties, down to the Florida line, over to the Alabama line. Um, you got Albany, you got Macon, you got Columbus, but you got a lot of rural areas. You spent 30 years representing most of the people in that district. What do you know about your constituents that these young bucks that want to take you out don't know? Um, I can recall uh, one of the, the uh, old farmers uh, down in South Georgia was asked uh, how he was going to feel and how he thought his father and grandfather would feel uh, that he was supporting uh, Congressman Bishop uh, against uh, uh, another opponent. And uh, he kind of smiled and said, well, he'd think I was pretty doggone smart because he taught us to we should stick with those who stick with us. And Congressman Bishop has represented us. He's been there when we needed him. He's always accessible. And I'm going to stick with him because he delivers for us. Farmers have been a key part of your constituency for many, many years. Uh, Chris West has an agribusiness background that's going to be running against you. Um, and he's even using the colloquial term, it's time to rotate the crop. Uh, how are you going to keep enough of the farmers to keep your job and battle this guy who is clearly coming at it with an agribusiness? You know, that, I don't think Jeremy Hunt would have known which end of a corn, corn stalk to find the, the ear of corn on it, but I bet Chris West does. Well, he may or he may not. Uh, I don't know how deep his background is, but I'm happy that uh, uh, the American Farm Bureau uh, saw fit to give me that Golden Plow Award because of my extensive support of agriculture. And of course, uh, the Cotton, uh, the uh, Cotton Council, uh, the Peanut uh, uh, Associations, uh, the Poultry uh, Associations, all of them uh, have uh, been very supportive of me. And uh, their, uh, their members uh, have indicated to me that uh, we have not asked you for anything that you have not been able to deliver for us. And we appreciate your work. We appreciate your professionalism. We appreciate your ability to use the system there in Washington to protect us and to advance our, our needs. And of course, uh, 
with agriculture being the number one industry in Georgia, uh, and of course uh, with uh, its having the tremendous uh, impact nationwide, uh, the farmers and agribusiness people all across the country in Georgia and in the second congressional district uh, have, uh, for the most part, all come out and rallied around me in terms of supporting me in this re-election. Uh, we have a farm bill that's coming up next year, and of course uh, that is the blueprint for five years for what farm programs will look like. With my position uh, as the chair of the Agriculture Rural Development uh, FDA uh, Subcommittee of Appropriations, with my seat on the Agriculture Authorizing Committee, uh, and with the knowledge that every election cycle we have fewer and fewer uh, representatives that come from production agriculture areas and having the position that I hold, uh, I think they recognize that uh, they want to keep me so that I will be in a position to sit at the table to be able to advocate for their needs uh, and for the needs of American agriculture. We produce the highest quality, the safest, the most abundant, uh, the most uh, uh, economical food and fiber anywhere in the industrialized world. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, in order to continue to do that, we've got to have it well researched. Uh, we've got to pay for the research. We've got to invest in it. And of course, I'm in a position to make sure that we can do that so that we remain number one. I'm sitting here as you're saying this, and I'm thinking experience matters, but I'm staring at your at your U.S. House pen, and only 435 people in the country currently wear one of those pens as an active member. What's the number on the back of yours? Uh, it's 19. You want to tell me what the significance of that number is? Yes, it means that uh, there are... 19, 18 people that have been there longer than I have, uh, which means that uh, I am able to sit on the Appropriations Committee based upon my experience and my seniority. Uh, I'm able to uh, exercise uh, uh, some knowledge uh, of the process and be able to utilize that process uh, with my uh, interaction with my colleagues, uh, the respect that we mutually have, the friendships uh, that we have with one another, to be able to deliver for the people of our state, the people of our congressional district, uh, and for humankind. Uh, the job is uh, a blessing for me. It is an opportunity to serve, and uh, I don't take it lightly. It is a charge uh, to keep that I have. And it is my way of, of giving uh, to uh, human, humankind. Are you more concerned about this race than you have been any of the ones in the past? I would not say that I'm more concerned. Uh, I take no election for granted, uh, but I do have a great deal of confidence in the wisdom of the people. Uh, I believe that they will evaluate uh, the background, the experience, uh, and the qualifications of the person who would represent them. Uh, and I think that uh, when they do that, that uh, they'll, they'll make a, a good decision. It doesn't belong to me. 
It's said that a, it's a couple not, of times. It's not a Republican seat. It's not a Democratic seat. It belongs to the people. And uh, while there are people who are Republicans, people who are Democrats, people who are independents, I believe that uh, at the end of the day, people will look and want to select a representative uh, to represent them in Washington who has a proven record uh, working for and in their behalf and who works for them and for the people. And uh, I believe that I have that proven record working and serving and delivering for the people of the 2nd Congressional District. Well, we, that is a paid political campaign. <laughs> Just kidding. But uh, this has been, you know, we've learned a lot about you over the last 45 minutes. And you've, you've made the case, your case, on why you think the people should send you back for a 16th term in your 32nd, 31st and 32nd year. Um, we're at a point now, we're near the end of the podcast, Congressman, and I've done this now 63, 64 episodes into it i call it turn the tables and what i do here now is i give you a chance to ask me a question i've been asking you questions for how many years and i think it's the first time in our 20-year relationship i've given you a chance to ask me a question i may regret this <laughs> i don't know that you should regret it regret it um i would just like to uh to ask you uh what are your impressions of uh of why you would think that people would uh, would possibly vote against their own best interests? Why would people not want uh, to have uh, the best possible, the best uh, experienced, uh, the best positioned person to represent them uh, in in any elected if body? You, if you look at the last ten years, people on both sides have been voting against their their own personal interest on a regular basis. So the question I, is why? But I think it's politics. I think yeah. it goes back to where we are. And, you know, and I, I will tell you this, I've gotten to know your opponent a little bit over the last, I covered the tail end, the runoff of that election. And he's not a normal person in that he's an impressive guy. He's, I mean, I'll just say that he's an impressive young man. Now, he doesn't have your experience level, and it's going to be very interesting to watch the two of y'all pair off in debate. But I'm not sure, you know, I think people right now are so caught up in R&D. They're so, so caught up in either they support former President Trump or they don't. I mean, people have all of this baggage or, you know, you know, they support Leader Abrams. I mean, I think, you know, you're going to have some really fascinating races on this ballot. I mean, Warnock, Walker. I mean, you know, you're going to. I go back to the, the original proposition. This country is set up for the people, not for parties, but for the people. And I believe... Is it working for the, the people right I, now? I, I believe that it is, particularly if you look at the gains, the successes that we have been able to make over the last uh, uh, year and a half uh, with the, uh, most recently, the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, the, the, um, uh, the CARES Act, where we were able to respond to the needs of the people uh, with the pandemic. Uh, I think the, uh, the bipartisan infrastructure bill, uh, which has taken us a long way to being able to uh, uh, try to catch up with our deteriorating infrastructure so that we can compete in the global marketplace. Uh, the, uh, 
the CHIPS Act uh, so that we can try to make sure that we can maintain our place. We were innovative in creating the computer chips. Would you uh, put the burn pit legislation in there? Absolutely. Uh, just as we did Agent Orange, uh, the burn pit legislation will reward and will give uh, the men and women who have served our, our country uh, and ha are suffering uh, uh, as a result of been exposing, being exposed to toxic uh, 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 inhalation, uh, it will give them uh, an easier route uh, to be able to get uh, treatment and to get compensated for, for those, those injuries. Uh, so I, I think that we're serving the people now. Uh, I think that uh, people have been so focused on the empty glass that they have not been able to fully appreciate uh, where we've come from in the last two years. Uh, facing the pandemic, the, the shutdown of the economy, uh, the shutdown of our supply chain, uh, the inability of, of people to, uh, to be able to interact with one another. And now that we've been able to, to get shots in arms, we've been able to, to keep businesses open, we've been able to put stimulus uh, uh, packages in families' homes to make sure that they had nutritious food during the pandemic, to make sure they're vaccinated, and to now expand the internet, which was revealed as a real, real Achilles heel for us, uh, have it expanding now all across this country. Broadband. I think we're making, making tremendous progress. We've got a long way to go. Uh, we've faced some challenges, but I think that uh, with the right leadership, and with the right determination uh, and the support of the people, we can get it done. Well, we are now at a point where we have run out of time, Congressman. Um, you, we're at the point now where I drive the car home, and you'll we'll get you out of here in just a second. But you can watch the Chuck Williams show on Tuesday nights. It's um, on WRBL.com between 7 and 8 o'clock at night. You can also get it on traditional podcasts. Uh, outlets, iHeart, uh, Spotify, and Apple. Did I get all those right, Axel? And then uh, on social media, you can follow me on Chuck, Twitter, at Chuck Williams. Facebook, Chuck Williams WRBL. And then on uh, Instagram, Chuck Williams 0999. Our guest has been U.S. Representative Sanford Bishop. He represents the Georgia 2nd a district that goes from Columbus and Macon all the way to the Florida line. It's a massive district. Um, he has represented the second for 30 years. He's asking for another term, faces opposition from um, Thomasville attorney developer Chris West. Congressman, thank you for taking time to join us today. Thank you for having us.